The reading is taken from the Epistles of the Galatians, chapter 3, verses 15 to 25. And this may be found on page 1170 of the Blue Bibles in the seats. Page 1170, Galatians chapter 3, reading verses 15 to 25. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Daniel. Before John comes to explain that passage to us, we're going to sing what is one of my favourite hymns um, for two reasons. One is, and this is a competition, it reminds me of in my younger days uh, going caving under the Mendip Hills south of Bristol. And if you know why it reminds me of that, let me know afterwards. But more importantly, uh, the fantastic words, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. So let's stand to sing. Let me 
let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that by the power of your spirit you would help us to understand your word this morning and that you would also help us apply our lives to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please do take a seat. Some time ago, uh, while I was serving as an elder in um, a Scottish Baptist church, I went to a a gathering of church leaders in Inverness. I think it was the pastor of the church who who was sort of welcoming us that that morning, and uh, he shared some news um, of some people who had recently become Christians and had had started to attend his church. It was really very encouraging. And then one older lady put up her hand to ask a question. And she said something along the lines of this. She said, oh, that's lovely to hear, dear. It's lovely that they've become Christians. But have they become Baptists? (laughs) Now, the general director of the Baptist Union of Scotland was present at this meeting. And he was basically sharing the the, the whole thing. And very gently and very wisely, he just lovingly corrected uh, this lady by saying... Again, something like, well, it would be wonderful if they did, but it's not the most important thing. Isn't that a good response? <laughs> be wonderful if they did, but it's not the most important thing. I don't know if you've ever encountered something similar, a similar attitude perhaps. It's great that you've become a Christian, uh, but now you need to take this extra step. 
Now, now, now you uh, need to have this extra experience. Or, or now you need to understand this thing that only real Christians understand. And then really you'll then be one of us, uh, only, only then. I don't know, have you ever encountered anything like that before? You know, real Christians, real Christians put their hands in the air when they worship, you know? You can only be a real Christian if you put your hand in the air. Real Christians should be baptised only in this church. You know, it's only baptism in this church that makes you a real Christian. Things like that. Effectively, what these people are saying when, when, when they say things like that is that if you really want to be a proper Christian, you must behave or you must believe or, or you must do what we say in this church. Well, this is exactly the sort of thing that was going on in the churches to whom Paul wrote Galatians. It's been a couple of weeks um, uh, since we were last here. Uh, some of you may, may not have even been here for the start. So let me uh, just remind you, we've, got, we've called this series Set Free, Live Free. And I just want to remind you of the background to this. After Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, his friends and his followers began to tell other people about what had happened and how it should change the way that they live. People became Christians, and, and to begin with, they were mostly Jews, those people who became Christians. In other words, they were people who knew and who believed what we call the Old Testament. And as part of what they believed, they lived under the Old Testament law. Now, Paul, who is the author of this letter to, to Galatians, he was himself a Jew, but Jesus had appeared to him and instructed him to take the Christian message to the Gentiles. Okay, Gentiles is just Bible speak for non-Jews. All right, so he, that's what he'd been instructed to do. So Paul did what Jesus asked of him. He hiked off to this non-Jewish area, Galatia, and he preached the good news of restoration with God through trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And people began to do just that. They trusted in Jesus. They were forgiven. These non-Jewish people became Christians. It was great. And Paul told them in no uncertain terms, he said, look, you don't need to become Jewish now. You don't need to do that. Being a Christian is enough. You don't need to follow every single one of the Old Testament laws. That's the way we Jews used to relate to God in the past. But now that Jesus has come, that's not the way that we relate to God. Well, Paul then left Galatia. Uh, but pretty soon some Jewish Christians, they rocked up in Galatia and they started saying something different. They started saying something like that dear old Scottish lady that I told you about at the start. They effectively said to the Galatians, look, it's great that you believe in Jesus. It's great that you've become a Christian, but now you need something extra. Not to become Baptists in this case, but you need to take on living under the Old Testament law. Because Paul didn't tell you the whole story. You do need to live under Old Testament law. Otherwise, you're not really one of God's people in relationship with him. Now, at this point, uh, you may be tempted to think that this part of Galatians, certainly when you read it earlier as well, feels short on relevance. No one is telling me here that I need to live under Old Testament law. And, you know, to be honest, it's not something that I lie awake about at night worrying, you know, thinking through. Well, I hear you on that. I do. And in fact, as I warned at the start of this series, there are parts of this 
uh, letter that feel difficult to understand straight away or difficult to sort of see the relevance of straight away. Well, let me simply say this in response to that, because like many parts of the Bible, we can't just read little motivational sound bites straight off, off the page here and think that we can always apply them straight to us. We can always apply them direct to our lives on a Monday morning. There are basically two problems uh, with treating the Bible like that. One is that it's a surefire way to get frustrated. <laughs> we'll just become frustrated. The other is that we'll never really understand what God is saying to us from beginning through to end. So let me give, me, give you an example. Suppose you've got that attitude and you just want to take something directly off the page here and we're in Galatians and you you have Galatians open tomorrow morning and you you flip it open at Galatians 5.12 and there you read for yourself. Paul says, I wish they would go the whole way and castrate themselves. You're going to apply that straight to your life, straight away like that? No, you're you're going to think about it. Or we did Amos recently, didn't we? So so imagine you you, you were there in Amos and and you you had Amos open and you you opened up to Amos 4.4 and you read these words, um, go to Bethel and sin and go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Okay, off I go. You're not, and these are silly examples, aren't they? But do, do, do you get my point? They, these examples, although they're silly, they remind us that we need to read the Bible in context. And the first thing when we, need, when, when we read the Bible in context, the first thing that we need to ask is, what did it mean to whom and when? What did it mean to them back then when it was first written? And then we say, well, okay, so how does, that, how does what, what it meant to them back then fit into this whole unified message of, of the Bible? And we've got to do that, ask those sort of two questions before we ever then start to say, okay, how do I um, apply it to my life? Or more accurately, how do I apply my life to God's word? So we've got to be prepared to do a little bit of work. That's what's before us this morning. Uh, but if we do, promise you, <laughs> right, if we can do the little bit of work, uh, we'll discover that there's much of importance here in these passages for us today. Much of importance about the gospel. Uh, much of importance that, that, that will give us stability and faith. Uh, the stability and the faith that we need, actually, to live for God and to live faithfully for God and to live lives that bring him glory. So bear with, relevance will come. (laughs) But first, we do need to understand why these Jewish Christians thought that the Gentile, the non-Jewish Christians, should take on living under the Old Testament law. And to do that, we need a brief Bible overview, uh, which is what this part of Galatians 3 actually is, is really all about. So, with thanks to an excellent Bible teaching friend of mine, who I've basically copied this from, uh, let me, I mean, I sat under his teaching and and I, I just think his explanation of this is excellent. So let me offer you the following as one simple way of understanding the Bible as a whole. Now... Um, I'm going to put some pictures up on the screen. I thought, look, if we're going to do this, it's good to do it by pictures. There are some sheets, okay? So it's, going to, it's not going to be massive on the screen, but particularly if you're in the back of the part of the church, if you put your hand up and you haven't 
got one of these. And the welcome team will just bring you one. There's one in English, and there's also one um, if you're a Cantonese speaker, because I couldn't squash the Cantonese on the graphic, okay? <laughs> so if you haven't got one of these and you, if you, and you can't see the screen clearly, just put up your hand, um, and um, there's, there's a couple down at the front welcome team. If we've, have we got some that we can just give, uh, give to these, these guys down here? Just keep your hands up when I, when I speak, and we'll work through it. We'll get you one so you can, you can see it, particularly if you can't see, uh, see the graphic. Just keep your hands raised, and we'll go for it from there. And to give you an idea of whether you can see it, let me put up the first one. There you go. So that'll, get, that'll give you an idea of, of what, what, you can, uh, what you can see. So I've got them in English, and I've got them for those who are Cantonese speakers as well, so um, hopefully there should be enough for everyone. So here we go. Basic Bible overview. Let's try and understand what Paul is saying. So first of all, this is what we need to understand. Box one. This is a picture of how things were in the beginning. Okay? So uh, it's described in Genesis 1 and 2. The crown stands for God. It represents his, his rule, his, his right to rule over his creation. And the people there represent the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. And that's the way things were meant to be, as the Bible paints it at the beginning. Okay, Human beings enjoying God and living under his rule. But box two is a picture of what goes wrong. We call it the fall. It's described in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve effectively say to God, look, God, we don't want you to be in charge. We've got it from here. We want, to, we want to live lives our own way. We want to make our own decisions, you know, just ignoring you. And that attitude to God is what the Bible calls sin. And so we've introduced that word sin uh, into, the, into the picture there. And sin, which is rejecting God, living our lives our, our own way without any acknowledgement of who he is, sin creates this barrier. So we've got the barrier. We've got that black line. Between us, mankind, so I've I've put the man in in black, us as mankind now, um, between us and God, this thick black line. And, And this barrier brings us under God's judgment and his condemnation. And this box actually explains the state that each one of us is born into, each and every one of us. We're not like Adam and Eve were created. Contrary to what those car stickers say, there aren't little angels um, on board. (laughs) They're not little angels. Your parents never had to teach you to have a selfish tantrum, did they? They didn't have to teach you to lie or to be selfish or to fight. That stuff just came naturally to to you, to us, as, as it's what we inherited as part of the fall. But then, moving on, box three, that moves us on to Genesis 12 where we get the promise. We get the promise on which the whole of the Bible, God's whole plan of salvation, is built. Basically, God says to Abraham in Genesis 12, through you I promise to sort this mess out. I promise to rescue this situation. I promise to to redeem it. I, I promise to put people right with me again. So there in box three is God's promise coming down to Abraham. And Abraham trusted God. He believed him. And he trusted him, and he trusted that promise, and he began a relationship with God of obedience to God, albeit it was imperfect, yes, but he began that relationship with God. And then box four takes us forward to Exodus 20. And uh, you can see there, there are, there are Abraham's descendants, the people of Israel, 
And God now gave them his law. That's represented by this little dotted line around the people. And he gave them this law to spell out comprehensively what the obedience that Abraham had begun looked like in practice. And he said to them, look, the way to live in relationship with me is to live under this law, to live within this law. Okay, you're still wondering what all this has got to do with Galatians 3. (laughs) Everything. It's got everything to do with Galatians 3 because those Jewish Christians who had arrived in Galatia, they warped this picture. They warped this picture. They didn't see things like this. They saw things instead a bit like this. They put all the emphasis on God's law. All the emphasis on God's law and and the emphasis on obedience to God's law. Because they mistakenly believe that if you obey the law, that solves the sin problem. So we can get rid of sin. Now understand this, they knew they weren't perfect. But they did think that if if you were living in obedience to the law, God no longer saw you as a sinner. And so therefore, you were kind of acceptable before him. So, to be fair to them, you know, it's no real surprise that they said to these non-Jewish Christians, you can't enjoy being right with God unless you live under the Old Testament law. But Paul's answer is simply this. You're wrong. (laughs) You're wrong. You put all the emphasis on God's law, box four, when it should be on box three. The promise. So two things we need to take away from Galatians 3 today. The first is this. Only Jesus can solve our sin problem. Only Jesus can solve the problem of sin. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up again. Galatians 3, uh, verse 15. And uh, let's just remind ourselves of that passage. Page 1170. Paul says, brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant, so think promise here, think promise for covenant. You know, human covenants, we have them all the time, wills, testaments, um, uh, marriage, that's a covenant between two people. The pro- um, uh, just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises, i.e. God's promises, were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say to, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Look, this is dense, isn't it? Let's be honest, it's dense. Uh, So let's just try and see (laughs) wood for the trees. Let's try and get the general drift, even if we don't have time for all the, the, the specifics. Here's another graphic. Paul is basically saying two things in these verses. Firstly, he's saying that God's promise... Box four to Abraham is the all-important fundamental thing in the Bible. That's what should be stressed, God's promise. 
And that God's giving of the law later actually doesn't change that. God's giving of the law is not the main thing. God's promise to Abraham is the all-important fundamental thing. That's the first thing he's saying. Secondly, he's saying that the promise to Abraham was really all about Jesus. It was really all about Jesus. It points forward to what Jesus would ultimately do. So if you look back at verse 16, it says, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. doesn't say seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person. Paul is explicit here. Who is Christ? In other words, it is not just about the descendants or seeds, plural, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes, all of those, but a specific descendant, a specific seed singular, Jesus. He names him. Now, if you know your Old Testament history, you'll know that in Genesis 12, God promised Abraham three things, um, uh, you know, land, he promised lots of descendants, uh, and he promised blessing. He promised to bless Um, uh, Abraham and his descendants and the greatest blessing that God could have given was to sort out the sin problem that's the greatest blessing he could give rescuing people who are under that barrier of sin that's the best thing that he could have done removing that condemnation that judgment that they are under and that's what motivates God That's what motivates him. He is a God of love. He's seeking out the rescue and salvation of his people. And so as Paul reread his Old Testament as a Christian, he rethought everything. He realized that the promise to Abraham was really pointing forward to the blessing of the day when Jesus would solve the sin problem. How does Jesus solve the sin problem? How does he do it? Anyone? Be brave. He dies on the cross for us. He dies on the cross. This is how we're rescued from the condemnation we deserve, which is what this next graphic tries to illustrate. That box there, box five, shows that on the cross, Jesus took the condemnation we deserve, so that on the one hand, justice is done on our sin, but on the other hand, we can also be forgiven our sin. The price is paid, judgment falls, not on us, but on Jesus, and we are forgiven. And that's why Galatians has some of the most important verses uh, in the Bible about the cross. So here's one, uh, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. But as wonderful as that is, I wonder if you can see that that only solves half of the problem. Yes, God forgives you. Yes, his judgment falls on on Jesus and, and not you, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But you and I both know that there is still a huge problem. People continue to reject God. We continue to reject him. Left to our own devices, our our natural propensity is to to lie and to cheat and to fight and to do what we want when we want to do. That, That propensity to do that still exists in us. And that part of the problem 
is only solved when the risen Lord Jesus comes into your life by the power of his Holy Spirit and he changes you. So there we are, box six. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and he opens our eyes when he does. He opens our eyes to understand that on the cross, what Jesus did on the cross is an act of love. He opens our eyes and he changes our hearts. That's why we've got a little new heart there in the person on, on the graphic. Because he changes our desires. And our hearts change to want to love him back for what he has done for us. And that's why, this is why, box six, that Galatians also has some of the most important passages in all of scripture about the Holy Spirit. We're going to come on to that, chapters four through six. We're going to see that in the coming weeks. So our sin problem is so deep that only Jesus can solve it. And he solves it by his work for us on the cross, box five, and then his work in us through his spirit, box six. It's that deep and that pervasive. But his work in us right now is only a beginning. It's just a beginning. I've been a Christian now for nearly 40 years. And I wish I could say that in that time I was getting more and more holy. That I was becoming more and more like Jesus. But the truth is that as God continues to do his work in me, he unearths more and more of that sin stuff, more and more of that natural state that I am that has to be dealt with. And then there's the things that I've struggled with for years. Desires, habits, attitudes. You know this, I'm sure. Things that we, I don't want to do, you don't want to do. We end up doing it, we end up giving in. We know that, we've got the new heart, we know what's motivating us, we know the direction we want to travel, and yet somehow... We keep being dragged back by the flesh and we say what we don't want to say. We think what we don't want to think and we behave in a way in our right minds and our God-given hearts that we don't don't want to behave in. There's a problem that will only be sorted out beyond this life. That's box seven. When the Holy Spirit finishes the work that he has begun in us, he finishes the work that he's begun in me, and then he raises me to new life with him from the dead. All that, all that stuff, all that stuff. Finally gone. <laughs> Completely, utterly, totally transformed. Wow. And I'm going to be in that sinless place with sinless people enjoying corporately our relationship with our creator the way it was always meant to be. And that's what the Bible calls glory. And so when we look at verse 18 and, and, and we see the blessings of the gospel summed up with the word inheritance, 
Understanding box seven begins to make a bit more sense, doesn't it? It says, for the inheritance, in other words, what lies beyond this life, what can only happen beyond this life, depends on, um, uh, for it, sorry, for if the inheritance, what lies beyond this life, depends on the law, then guess what it says? It no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. It's promised. God's promised. Just over a week ago, we said goodbye, didn't we, to our dear sister Ruth. She was looking forward to a new body, one that was free from the pain and the ravages of cancer. And she's enjoying that now. Maybe you're here and, and, and you're at an age or there's, there's things going on in your life, whether that's physically, emotionally or whatever, and you are looking forward to that stage where you will be given a new, a new recreated body and you'll be free from whatever it is that is, that is affecting you in such the way that it affects you at, at the moment. And that's a great thing to look forward to. But do you know what else Ruth is enjoying right now? And I'm not sure that we think about this as much as we should. She's also enjoying not being able to sin anymore. She is sinless. She is without sin perfected in Christ. And that is the wonderful part of the inheritance that Paul is talking about here. No more sin. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can solve the sin problem. But then secondly, this is the second thing that um, uh, I want us to think about this morning. God's law can only show up our sin problem. Just think back to that very brief Bible overview that we've, 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 we've done there in, in, what, ten minutes or so. We can see there how God's promise to Abraham was really pointing forward to Jesus. But if it was pointing forward to Jesus, it begs an obvious question, doesn't it? <laughs> begs an obvious question to us. And, and Paul uh, asks it of the, the Galatians in, in uh, verse 19. What's that obvious question? If you look down in, into verse 19. If, if, if the promise is really looking forward to Jesus... Paul says, hang on, there's a, there's a problem here. What's the, what's the question? Anyone, shout it out, verse 19. What's the point of the law? If, if it really was all about the promise, why, why the law? Why, why, why add it in? What's the point? Why add it into the picture? Why not just send Jesus straight away and deal with it? Well, let's read on then. Verse 19. Verse 19 tells us, um, it was added, was it not, um, because of transgressions. It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred to had come. So God added the law because of these transgressions. What's a transgression now we've got to work out, haven't we? <laughs> we did some work this morning, stick with it. <laughs> but what is, a, what is a transgression? A transgression is when we cross a line that we should not cross. There's a road that I love to travel uh, in Scotland. It, go, uh, a, uh, it goes from, um, actually there's the A9 first, it goes from uh, Perth up, all the way up to uh, Inverness. Uh, but halfway along you leave the A9 uh, at Aviemore, and this road that I love to travel then goes up through Grantown on Spey and up over the tops and it drops down into, into the, onto the Moriforth coast, which is um, where we used to live. And... Um, I've got to be honest, Debs hates the road. <laughs> I love it. If you like driving, it's one of those 
those uh, roads that's just a beauty to drive. It, you know, it winds its way around, it goes over to open moorland, it's through forests, um, you know, it's, it, there's, a, there's a wonderful section alongside a massive, on a river plain, it, 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 it's wonderful. And if I'm driving those roads late at night, or when there's not much traffic about, uh, I like to do a little bit of a Lewis Hamilton um, in that case. I don't mean drive at like 200 miles an hour, although I, I do like to drive as, as quickly as I can. Um, but I do like to, to sort of smooth out, out the bends. Do you know what I mean? I like to take the, race, the racing line so that, so that those corners aren't quite as, as sharp and as throwing, particularly when I've got the dog in the back of the car. I'm not throwing them around as much as, as, as I otherwise could do. And that's okay. I'm perfectly entitled to do that. When it's safe to do so, where it's safe to do so, if there's no line in the middle of the road, if, 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 if there's just a dotted line in the middle of the road, I, I'm entitled to do that. This actually is a picture of that road, of the very road. If you can see, this is a complete aside, but there's a little rock there, and that rock is, is whitewashed. It's, it's been whitewashed as long as I've been living, well, since before I was living in Scotland, over 25, 30 years, and on it, painted in red, is Jesus Saves. It's on the, Dar- the Darva uh, Moor, just, just, um, just sort of north of, of Grantown on Spey, and it's a little local landmark. Anyway, that's nothing to do with the sermon, but that's, that's it there. We've had pictures taken there and everything. We love the road. But that's a dotted line. In some places, same road, this is still the same road, there is a solid line. Of course, that solid line is not there to restrict my fun. That's not, not, not its point. It's there to protect me, of course. But as soon as I take the racing line and those parts, and as soon as I try and smooth out the corner there, I cross that solid white line and I transgress the law. I transgress it. It's wrong. It's wrong to do it. You're not allowed to do it. And you know it's wrong. You know you're not allowed to do it because of the law of the road. The law. The highway code. We know it. Well, do you know what? It's a bit like that, a bit like that, (laughs) here in verse 19, where Paul sees God's law as the moral line that God drew to make us realise that we were in the wrong with him. Yes, the line he drew protects us. Yes, the line he drew enables us to flourish. But mainly it's there to remind us of how much We are in the wrong. How much we need God. It's there to show up our sin problem. And only show up the sin problem and not solve it. So, for example, God's law says, love your neighbour as yourself. That's the law. Now imagine you are an Old Testament Jew. Day one, after receiving that law from God, you set out to keep it. You try to love everyone that you meet. Just the same way that you love you. Everyone you meet. I don't know, it's not going to take many hours before you realise that's a tall order. It's not going to take many hours for you to realise just how selfish you you really are and how you can't do it. God adds his law to show up the sin problem and not to solve it. Let's... um, Move on to verse, uh, verse 21. Verse 21 is another question. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? And, and it's, a, it's another important question for Paul to ask. Let's look back at the boxes. Is the law opposed to the promises of God? 
In other words, box three, did God declare plan A to solve the, the sin problem, the promise of Jesus to Abraham, only then to change his mind and add in box four and say, do you know what? On second thoughts, I think I'll make you solve it yourself. You just keep the law. Is that what he did? That's ludicrous, isn't it? That would be absolutely ludicrous. Paul certainly thinks so. Verse 21, he says, absolutely not. That's not what he did. For if the law had been given that could impart life, i.e. if the law had been given that could bring you back into relationship with God, then righteousness, in other words, being put right with God, would certainly have come by the law. But friends, God's law was never meant to solve the sin problem. That's what we've been saying, because it can't solve the sin problem. It was meant to highlight the problem and make you remember that you needed the promise fulfilled. So, verse 22. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. Friends, this is why our image for the series depicts chains, chains that bind prisoners, chains that need to be broken so that we can be set free to live free. Ever ever since box two, Sin has imprisoned us. And so Paul, for Paul, God's law is more than just that moral line, actually. It's more than just a moral line that's painted that we can't cross. It's more than that. It's also, he says here, a one-man judge and jailer. The law pronounces a sentence. In effect, it says, look, you haven't loved your neighbour as yourself. You're guilty of self-centeredness. You're guilty of ignoring God. And therefore, you're locked away from God. You've got that barrier there without any hope whatsoever of being accepted by him through your own efforts. I don't know if you can see here how Paul is painting different pictures to make us realise that the law can only show up the sin problem, it can't solve it. So first, he's got the law as a moral line. Now it's a one-man judge and jailer. And then thirdly, it's also a supervisor. Look at verse 24. These are all different ways that Paul is trying to explain what the law is and how it can't solve the sin problem. Verse 24 says, So the law was put in charge... To lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Apparently the original Greek here is something like childminder. So that put in charge is like a childminder. The law becomes like a childminder or a guardian. And just like today, those who could afford it back then had people who they would put in charge of their children. And they would make sure that the children went off to school and that they didn't bunk off and, and do other things. And what Paul is trying to explain here is that God's people, just like everyone else were supposed to be these living examples of all of this, all of all of this. They were supposed to live this out, witnessing to the whole world. Yes, they were enslaved to sin, just like everyone else. But unlike everyone else, they knew it, because they were given the law which showed up their sin problem. 
But also, like a child-minding supervisor, like a guardian, that law was supposed to guide them to live the best lives they could in accordance with their creator's instructions. It's almost as if the law was saying to Israel as her story unfolded, keep following me, keep obeying me, I am leading you to Jesus. You might not be able to realize that's who it is, but that's what I am doing. I'm leading you to the fulfillment of the promise. I'm leading to you to the only solution that there is for your sin problem. So stop bunking off elsewhere. Stop it. Because there is no better way to live. And there is no solution to the sin problem anywhere else. You won't find a solution anywhere else. You won't find it in a man-made identity. You won't find it in politics or, or in government or in laws. You won't find it in, in education. You won't find it in a relationship. You won't find it in trying to be a better person. You won't find it in any other religion. Because only Jesus can solve your sin problem. Only Jesus. So yes, we need to appreciate what happened in the past. We can't always just read God's words direct off the page and directly into our lives. We've got to do our homework sometimes. But what God's law did for them back then, it can still do for us today. Maybe you're with us this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Uh, maybe you're exploring this, this whole idea of faith and you're not yet con convinced about it. You're not yet convinced about sin. Perhaps you think all this talk about sin is really quite negative and uh, human beings are basically good. I always remember my friend saying uh, two things in response to that. He'd say, if that's really the case, firstly, if that's really the case, you think human beings are, are, are really good, then why did you lock your house when you left this morning? And then he would say, secondly, a challenge. He'd give a challenge. He'd say, look, just for, just for if you really think that people are, are good and inherently good and things are all, all right and sin isn't a problem, just for the rest of this day and, and into, the, into this week, just try and keep, live your life keeping um, uh, that, that, that law, the law that I referred to earlier, you know, love the Lord your God, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, sorry. Um, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Just try and keep that. See how far you go into the rest of this day by keeping that into this week. And you'll see just, just how, how it's impossible to do. But maybe you're here this morning and you would call yourself a Christian. Well, what's the relevance of this part of God's word to us? Well, it's that whenever you read about God's law in the Old Testament, or whenever you see it quoted in the New Testament... Remember that it is there to keep highlighting your sin problem. It's there to show it up. Yes, today we are box six people. We're not box four people. We relate to God wonderfully, mercifully, through the presence of his Holy Spirit in our hearts because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And that's a wonderful thing. We don't relate to him in obedience to the law. But the law still has relevance 
for us today because it shows us how God wants us to live. Therefore, whenever we read it, it will show us more of our sin and remind us again and again and again and again and again that we are people who need Jesus. We need his forgiveness in our lives. And, and, and it will also show up again and again and remind us again and again and again how we are people who need his spirit to keep overcoming more of our sinfulness. We need more of Jesus and more of his spirit. And that's really the message of the Old Testament in a nutshell. It's what the Old Testament is saying. You are a person who needs Jesus. And the more you go on as a Christian, the more you realize that you need him more and not less. Let's pray. Father, it's been a challenging passage for us to think about this morning. We thank you, though, for the gift of your Holy Spirit with us. We thank you for the privilege that we are people who can relate to you, not through and tr- by trying to keep law, but through the death of your Son and the gift of your Spirit. So, Father, for those who are weary and discouraged this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would encourage them. For those who are struggling in other ways, please, Lord, would you encourage us to keep speaking to you and living and relating to you by your Spirit. And, Father, for those of us who are tempted to try and live by the law and justify ourselves, even though we know we're saved by grace. Keep correcting us and bringing us back to the salvation that is found only in your Son. Amen.